I'm not one to uh, let an elephant in the room just stay where it is. I like to address them. So the elephant in the room this morning is my voice. Uh, I was at a basketball tournament for the last two days until we got home about 10 o'clock last night. Turns out, sitting in stands and yelling and talking to people for two straight days and then going out in sub-zero temperatures is not great on the old pipes. So uh, bear with me, please. I will, uh, I've, I've been praying the Lord will help my voice last through this. You know, today is, is Super Bowl Sunday, and, and uh, it's just I, I really like and hate Super Bowl Sunday, okay? I like it because I love the sport of football. But I hate it because after today, football's over, <laughs> and that bothers me. So I don't know how many of you are, uh, have, I don't know that anybody here has a real vested interest in this game as far as having a team, but uh, we'll, uh, I'll be watching the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Tom Bay Gronkineers, and we'll, uh, we'll see, we'll see who, who comes out. Uh, the reason I mention that is really just to get to this point. My stepdad, Larry, is a Kansas City Chiefs fan. He lived in the Kansas City area for a while. And uh, anyway, uh, I'm, I'm an Oakland Raiders, well, sorry, Los An- Vegas Raiders. I almost said Los Angeles, Las Vegas Raiders fan. Uh, so I don't, I don't necessarily always care for the Chiefs, but I, I was rooting for them last year to win. But the reason I mention that is last week my stepdad Larry had a heart cath uh, done and they found several blockages. And so he's going to be having open heart surgery probably sometime in the next week or two. Um, he goes in for a consult on Monday. And um, my brother and I are going to be flying down to be with mom uh, in Mississippi while uh, Larry's in surgery and staying for probably a couple of days to help him get back and forth and get where he needs to be and help mom with that. And so I would just ask that you'd pray for him. Uh, he's a very special man to our family. And uh, it's, it's my, I, I, I say he's my stepdad. He's just, he's been a father to me uh, the last nine years. And so pray for him and uh, and my mom uh, as, you know, she's she's not you know, she's not, um, just pray for her. That's all. That's all I'll say, because I don't know where else that's going, and we need to get into the sermon. So um, please be praying for him. Um, it, you know, yeah, that's what I say. All right. Um, transitioning into the actual message, if you've got your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 13 through 16 this morning. Uh, thank you for... Uh, uh, giving me that opportunity. And uh, I do know this is a praying church, so I'm uh, happy to let you guys know how you can be praying. Also, I just wanted to say another big welcome to anybody who just logged on online, um, and, and we're just happy to have you with us. Um, you know, when I decided, I, you know, I was going back and forth on whether to have church or not this morning because of the cold, decided, you know what, if you don't feel comfortable coming, if you're ever like the weather's bad or, you know, with the virus and stuff has been, uh, my policy has just been like, we're going to have it if we can. Um, and if you're not comfortable coming, like stay home and watch and join us online and come back when it, when weather's better. And we're okay with that. You know, no shame on you for that. So uh, just wanted to let everybody know that, but do leave us a comment. Let us know you're there. Interact with one another. As one thing, not having church last week, um, I was able to interact uh, during the sermon because I had pre-recorded it, and so I was able to interact with people. It was a really sweet, sweet, sweet thing to be able to do. So uh, for just for a little change for one week. So Pastor John MacArthur relates this story. He says uh, that President Woodrow Wilson told this story. So it's one guy telling a story that another guy told. Okay, and here I'm the third guy telling the story. So there you go. So President Woodrow Wilson told this story. He said, I was in a very common place. I was sitting in a barber chair 
when I became aware that a personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not in the least didactic, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done for me, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody was in that chair. I purposefully lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. They didn't know his name, but they knew that something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I had left that place as I should have left the place of worship. My admiration and esteem for Mr. Moody became very deep indeed. We're talking about influence. The influence of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. The world has issues. We all know this. Because of the fall of mankind, when sin entered this world, there's corruption, there's impurity, there's decay, and there's death. There's darkness, and there's despair. And if you doubted that, 2020 into 21 has certainly caused you to at least question it. That there is a despair in the world. Christians who have been rescued out of our sin by Jesus' death on the cross, by his free gift of grace, and made to be salt and light in the world, which is what we're going to talk about today, are to be pushing back the darkness and the despair, fighting the corruption of the world. John Stott said this, The greatest hindrance to the advance of the gospel worldwide is the failure of, of the lives of God's people. And there, there's the crux of the matter, isn't it? We are, according to Jesus, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That is his plan for spreading the gospel in the world. It's us, the church, his children. There, there's no plan B because that's his plan and that's how it will be accomplished. So we must be very attentive to what our lives and our mouths are telling people about the kingdom we belong to and the king whom we serve. So right now, I want us to pray that God would open our hearts to his word, and then we're going to read from Matthew um, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word and we open it, God, we pray you would cut us to the heart, God, I pray that we would understand your word for what it means and, and, and how it applies into our daily uh, lives, where the rubber meets the road in our lives, that your word would change us. God, that we would have an effect on this world for the gospel, for the good, that we would help to push back darkness and slow corruption and decay and bring healing through the name of Jesus that people would come to know you. Lord, I pray you would speak through me, that you would help my voice to hold out, that you would speak through your word, that you would be clear in what your word means, that if there's anything that's just me and, and, and doesn't need that to be there, that you would just clear it out and work even in spite of me, Jesus. Be big here. This is for you. This is about you. And we honor you and dedicate this morning to you, Jesus. It's for you. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If we were to describe the Beatitudes, which last week we just got finished going through, if we were to to describe the Beatitudes as the start of a river flowing downhill toward the ocean, then this passage is at the bottom of the drop where that river kind of drops off, right? There's a, there's a natural flow from the Beatitudes into this section of Scripture. And as a good student of the Bible, we've got to consider why it was placed there. What is Jesus telling us? See, the life that he had described in the Beatitudes is what makes us salt and light. It's the lifestyle of a citizen of the kingdom of God that makes you salt and light. This keeps with Jesus' overall mission and our commission in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The context of our focal passage of verses 13 through 16 is that Jesus has just delivered his teaching about persecution at the end of the Beatitudes. That's what comes immediately before these verses. If the followers of Jesus, who he is talking to, okay, that's who he's talking to, if the followers of Jesus live as salt and light to the world, they will face persecution. If you're living your life as a walking, talking witness to the gospel and the lordship of Christ, you will face persecution. And if you want to go back and re-listen to that, the audio's up on our, our pod. Uh, actually, uh, you'll have to go on our Facebook feed and watch the video because we don't have the audio from last week up yet. But um, you will face persecution if that's true. And, and here we have a contrast, though, from verses 11 and 12. You, you have those who are persecuting the children of God. And then... You come here to a contrast where he's talking about not those who are persecuting, but those who are the salt and the light, the ones who are being persecuted. So what's the first thing we need to understand? If you were going to take notes, what's the first thing I'd want you to write down? Uh, It's this, be salt in a world of decay. Be salt in a world of decay. This statement about Christ's followers being salt, you are the salt of the earth. It's, it's about, and, and the statement about us being light. They're, they're not for later. They're not, you should go be the salt of the world. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Christ's statement here, it's in the emphatic sense. It's emphatic. It's an emphatic statement. It's not a promise. 
You are the salt, he tells his followers. His people are the salt. Not would be, not can be, but are. Now, it's always been an interesting thing to hear guys preach on this because everybody, you want to find out, well, what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Well, salt benefited and still benefits in uh, fundamental ways, right? Besides just getting your blood pressure up there, right? It benefits in positive ways, right? In, it, it, in the ancient time, in the Bible times, it had a few basic functions. So uh, purity, for purifying things it was used. For preservation, you know, yeah. I don't know if you've ever had it, but I had a pastor once who was preaching about, um, I don't even remember what passage he was preaching. All I remember is we went and got this salted fish that was supposed to be similar to what Jesus and the disciples were eating. And he brought that stuff in and I mean, he opened that bag and it's just the aroma, right? It's just like the stinky. And I like fish, but this stuff had salt and they just rubbed it in there and it preserved it. It was like dried salted fish. So it was used for, you know, to create purity, for purifying things, for preservation, for flavor, of course. We, you know, we put it on for flavor. For healing, it was used in the healing process, the creation of thirst. You go to the movie theater, well, someday, when you go to the movie theater again, you get a big tub of popcorn, and it's all salty and buttery, and what do you immediately want? Something to drink, because it's a creator of thirst. Salt also could be thrown on land to render it useless, and it could be used to brighten the light of lamps. Now, many of you know Laura Engels Wilder's Little House books, okay? Maybe you read them as a child, or maybe your kids read them. But in, uh, she tells about her days growing up in the backwoods in the prairie towns um, in the American Midwest, And in the first book of the series, Little House in the Big Woods, which was always my favorite as a kid, I think, because one of my teachers read it to us, um, Laura talks about growing up in a cabin in Wisconsin in the 1800s. Now, getting and keeping enough food to survive the winter was a major part of their lives, and in one part of the story, her father, Pa, goes fishing and comes back with a wagon full. They eat some, but Laura says most of the fish were packed in salt to be eaten later. Why salt? Well, as I said, it's a preservative. It preserves uh, those things around it. And it keeps it from rot and from decay when you pack it in salt. In the world, the Christian often finds themselves living among a lot of decay and rot. Christ calls us to offer a way of preservation in a world that's bound to the corruption when he says you are the salt of the earth and Matthew 5.13. Now, I think there's two warnings that we could associate with this section, and I want to give those a little bit of time. And the first one is, don't lose your purity. If salt is for preservation and purification, then it makes sense for us to understand if we are the salt of the world, later on when he talks about salt losing its saltiness, I think there's a warning we need to heed that, is in, that we can imply there, right? Don't lose your purity. Don't lose your purity. A pure life, someone said, gives credit to the proclamation of our lips. Living a pure life gives credit. It, gives, it shows that we're genuine in what we say with our mouth. Because what's the first thing? We all know someone 
who says something with their mouth, but you look at their life and they're doing exactly the, the opposite thing or different from what they've said. And all of a sudden, what they say has no credit in our minds or our hearts because they are not living in according with what they're saying. Practice what you preach sort of thing, right? But a pure life gives credit to what we proclaim with our lips. We need to run from things that threaten our purity. Run from things that threaten our purity. I think you need to stay away from things that harm your witness. Okay? There are things that are more tempting for some of us than others. This is real, like, ground-level basic, okay? But there are things that are more tempting for some of us than others. And in order to maintain your purity, you might need to stay away from those. That doesn't mean everybody has to stay away from those things, but, uh, but, but you might. So here's the example that I always use. If you are a recovering, raging alcoholic, all right? Hanging out at the bar, not a great plan. All right? We need to run away from things that threaten our purity. If you're a recovering whatever, hanging out in the midst of whatever was your issue, probably not a great plan, right? If you are really struggling with lust, watching unedited footage of Game of Thrones or something like that, bad plan, all right? At a meeting, some young people were discussing the text you're the salt of the earth. One suggestion after another was made as to what the meaning of salt in the verse could be. Salt imparts a desirable flavor, said one person. Salt preserves from decay, another suggested. These are both things we've talked about, right? Then a Chinese girl speaks up and says, out of an experience that none of the others had had, salt creates thirst, she said. There was a sudden hush that came over the room, and everyone was thinking this question. Have I ever made anyone thirsty for the Lord Jesus Christ? Does your life, and your words, because we got it both, but does your life and your words make other people thirsty for Jesus Christ? And this goes beyond just flat out proclaiming the gospel to someone, sharing the gospel with someone. That absolutely needs to happen. But, does the rest of your life also make them thirsty for Christ? Our words and our actions must match up. So don't lose your purity. Secondly, don't lose your usefulness. Don't lose your usefulness. Salt, losing its saltiness, is pretty useless, right? Now, that's weird for us. We, we, we look at it and we're like, that seems strange and unnatural for salt, the very thing it is, to lose its saltiness. That would make it useless. And if we lose our saltiness, we become useless in the kingdom. Back then, salt could come, become, so back in this day, salt was less completely pure than the salt we have now, okay? You weren't going to buy a, a container of Morton's, Okay? But back then, salt could become contaminated and impure, and it could lose its taste. In the New American Commentary, uh, Blomberg writes, Both metaphors of salt and light raise important questions about Christian involvement in society regarding all forms of separation and withdrawal. We are not called to control secular power structures. Neither are we promised that we can Christianize the legislation and values of the world, but... We must maintain active preservative 
agent. We must remain active, preservative agents. Indeed, irritants in calling the world to heed God's standards. We dare not form isolated Christian enclaves in which the world pays no attention. I can say this another way. The idea of being in the world but not of the world, right? That sounds like something maybe Jesus taught. We, we're not to get into these, like, be monks and get completely withdrawn from society in our own little monasteries and be completely detached from everything. You see some churches teach this, right? And you have very little effect on the culture around you. We are to be salt and light. We are to have that preservative effect. We are to be uh, irritants to the darkness, (laughs) irritants to what is going on in the world, to cause people to thirst and hunger for Jesus. So that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be salt. Secondly, we're, we're light to a world in darkness. And so if we are light in a world of darkness, we have to look at our lives and say, am I lighting the dark right now? See, being a light in the world implies that the world is in darkness, and I don't think any of us would argue that, right? It's interesting, though, when you hear the light of the world, and I remember I heard a song, and the lyrics, I don't even remember what song it was. By the way, it's really hard to try to save your voice and not belt out singing when Dana picks such good songs that uh, uh, make my heart just want to sing and leap out of my chest. So, uh, so anyway, um, but there's some song, I don't know what it is, but talks about you are the light of the world or we are the light of the world. And that's weird because we do hear it here. We see Jesus saying that here, but that seems strange or should seem a little strange to, uh, to us because that expression, light of the world, is applied to Jesus in the Bible in other places. So it seems kind of odd that he would refer to us, his followers, as the light of the world. Take a look um, in John eight twelve if you want. It'll be up there if you don't want to look it up. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John chapter 9, verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In John twelve thirty five says this, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a background, actually, to this idea of of light in the world, light of the world. In those pages, it stood for revelation, instruction, hope, joy, righteousness, salvation, and the radiance of divine presence, according to Quarles. Quarles is a guy. Charles Quarles. It's a terrible name. Anyway. Um, So... So all those things that it stood for, we would say, well, those are true of Jesus, right? Revelation, instruction, hope, joy, righteousness, salvation, and the radiance of divine presence. Emmanuel means God with us. 
we, if we were to flip over to Isaiah uh, 49.6, we'd find this. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. It's not talking about you and me. Isaiah here writes of the Messiah, the servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ, as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. So in our passage today, the phrase is used in a different sense in reference to the followers of Christ. Okay, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world and he has ascended into heaven. We are to be reflectors of the light of the world. We are to be reflectors. In that way, we are the light of the world because we are reflecting the true light, Jesus, the better light. We're reflecting him to the world. He's the greater light. And in reflecting him, listen to this, we advance the mission of God. Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And in Philippians 2, 15, it says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Being who and what they are is inevitable. Light in this world. Being who and what we are. Living as citizens of the kingdom Right, Our life described in the Beatitudes, it would be inevitable that we would be light in this world. So Jesus says, you are the light of the world. It's a continual activity of continually reflecting his light. Asher, my youngest, has really, uh, uh, and, and he and Bethany are at home watching right now, so hi guys. But Asher has really taken a liking to the 1980s G.I. Joe cartoons that I used to watch as a kid. And I love it. Did you know there's a YouTube channel that just runs them constantly? It's fantastic. But anyway, so we've been watching those. But uh, those of you who grew up in the 80s and 90s will remember that this uh, G.I. Joe was the good guys, right? You know, Yo-Jo America, right? And then the bad guys were Cobra. And Cobra was always coming up with some device to take over the world, right? That would affect the weather or would move material around or something like that. And generally, it would have some kind of, like, there'd be, they'd shoot something up at a satellite, it would reflect the beam down, and it would, you know, hit somewhere else. And there's one of them that the G.I. Joes, in order to fight it, they had these mirrors, and they would catch the ray and then reflect it out, right? And I think about that. That's what comes to mind. I know that's a weird illustration for 2021. I get it, right? But I've been watching these with Asher, and that's what comes to mind when I think of Jesus, the light of the world, and, and the light hits us, and we turn it and shine it out at the world, and the darkness has to flee. Charles Spurgeon illustrates it like this. It's, it's like when a housewife cleans her room. She looks, and there's no dust. The air is clear, and all her furniture is shining brightly. But there's a chink in the window shutter. Boy, you can tell he didn't live today. There's a chink in the window shutter... A ray of light creeps in, and you see the dust 
dancing up and down, thousands of grains in the sunbeam. We've all had this experience, right? Little wind, little sunbeam comes through the blinds, and you see the dust floating around. You're like, where is that coming from? It's all over the room the same, but she can only see it where the sunbeam comes in. She can only see the dust, the dirt, where the light hits. It's just so with us. God sends a ray of divine light into the heart, and then we see how vile and full of iniquity our hearts are. And that's how when we shine God's love, when we shine the gospel light of Jesus out into the world, the world can see the truth about their condition as well as the truth of the Savior who wants to free them from it. There's two examples that we have of what this means to be the light of the world. There's two examples that we have in this passage. The first one is the the example of the light on a hill. Or the city on a hill, excuse me. Learn from the example of the light on a hill, the city on a hill. It's conspicuous, like a city on a hill. Look, around here, you guys know what it is to drive around in flat darkness where there's no, like you can see for miles, and there's no hills in the distance or trees, right? And you can, at night, when you're out, you know, down like between like Ashton and Amboy, I mean, it's just nothing, right? But then, closer to one of the cities, I remember driving on 88, and you can't get, when we used to live in Ashton, you can't get to Ashton from 88, you all know that, Uh, but you drive by, and you'd see it over there, and you could actually see it. It's not very big, but you could see it, and it was kind of up, what, on a hill, right? We're to be conspicuous, something that is noticed. He calls us into his kingdom and doesn't expect us to hide the light, but to let it shine for all around to see it and light the way to the Father. We're not just shining the light so that people think we're cool. Okay, a lot of people get that twisted and they're like, they want to just be relevant. Well, no, that's, that's not the point. God gives us influence for the purpose of of him bringing people to himself and for lighting the world and giving glory to the Father. Excuse me. God gives us influence, so we must guard our tongues and watch our actions. An anonymous writer is quoted as saying this, the reason some folks don't believe in missions is that the brand of religion they have isn't worth propagating. Ouch. I'm going to read that again. The reason some folks don't believe in missions is that the brand of religion they have isn't worth propagating. What he's saying there is a lot of people who don't believe in missions, they're not interested in missions and the mission of God and the mission to other nations is because the Christianity they practice isn't worth its salt. It may not even be real. And what they see in their life, they're like, the, the part of it that's, that they've got in their life, it's not worth spreading. But Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, you're the the light of the world. That's worth spreading. The gospel, true Christianity, is worth spreading. So he learned from the example of the city on a light in a house. 
You know, a little light in a dark room can make a big difference. It draws the eye to it. We see this a lot when we do like a candlelight service at Christmas time. You know, we turn out the lights, we start lighting the candles. That first candle lights, it's like, oh. And then they all start lighting and the room gets brighter. Because darkness flees from the light. Right? That's why when you, you go in a room, and if you're scared of the dark as a kid, you flip on the light or you get your little flashlight, whatever. Because you know, even subconsciously, you know that that darkness will go away from the light. Darkness flees from the light. When other people see our good works, when they see us living the life described in the Beatitudes, that it can't be ignored. Because it's, people will persecute us like the prophets were persecuted. They, in the end, though, those who are mesmerized by the light that we reflect will give God the glory. And it's right there in verse 16, in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, either way, in the end, God is glorified. When we stand firm in our commitments and our convictions, he is shown to be worthy and true. And the one who enables us to stand, he's glorified. If we are persecuted even to the point of martyrdom, he's glorified. Let me ask you this, would you be the cause of other people giving glory to God? Would you be the cause of other people giving glory to God? I wanted to ask you these seven questions that Danny Aiken lists in his commentary. They're just so good. And they're about seeking to light dark places. So I want you to, you might want to write these down or, or you can go back and listen to the audio when it's posted or watch the video. But I want you to ask yourself these seven questions and answer them honestly. And look, you may have to take them home and sit down and pray about this and think about this because it's, some of these are pretty deep on you. Number one, does fear of man keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? Broad, either one. Does fear of man keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? Number two, does pride keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? Does pride keep you from shining brightly? Number three, does sin keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? You got some sin, maybe it's habitual, that you can't let go of, that's got you chained up, and does it keep you from shining brightly for Jesus? Number four, This one hurts. Does comfort keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? Does your comfort keep you from shining for Jesus? Because you're afraid of what it will mean if you start. Number five. Does peer pressure keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? I know what you're saying, Pastor Cal. Peer pressure, that's something we talked about when we were 13 Right? That's a teenage thing, peer pressure. No, it's not. I mean, it's hardcore there for sure. But there's peer pressure even among pastors, guys. Does peer pressure keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? Number six, 
Do parental expectations keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? Do parental expectations keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? And the last one, number seven. Do your ambitions, and by the way, ambition is not necessarily a bad thing. I'll just tell you, there is God, such a thing as godly ambition. But here's the question. Do your ambitions and agendas keep you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? Are you so focused on what you want to do that it keeps you from shining brightly for Jesus among the nations? Your ambitions and agendas. So how do we wrap all this up because we've got a lot to think about and pray about now. To really ask God to reveal these things in our hearts, to, to, to delve deep into our soul. Being salt, being light, it's active, it's not passive. David Dockery says, salt is only useful when it gives of itself. God's people should be known for, should be famous for, both their courage and convictions and compassion and grace and humility. A love for others expressed in actions. There's uh, this parallel verse in the book of Luke to the, to the verse about salt. And it's Luke 14, 34 through 35. It says this, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Dr. Aiken says, Compromise is a deadly cancer to our witness in the world. Compromise is a deadly cancer to our witness in the world. The world's desires are seducing. Okay? The the world... And its desires are seducing to us. Materialism, political expediency, irresponsible rhetoric, running off at the mouth, moral laxity, foolish actions, they're all compromises that trade in for false promises. It stands out when we hold to our convictions and our commitments. It's so different from the normal way the world is that it makes us seem weird and it's conspicuous. It's noticeable. We add flavor to the world and are useful to the kingdom. We're the Savior's salt. Our lives should influence the world for good. As the salt of the earth, we should be acting as a moral antiseptic. Christians living in Jesus' standards are this. They give a tang to life. They preserve. They're a preservative, enhancing the good in life and opposing the evil as measured by Christ's standards, not the world's standards. See, the world responds to Christians who do not function as they should by throwing them out. Christians, you must see Christians who have zero effect, those who the world looks at and says, yeah, they're not genuine in what they believe. And they toss them. They see when we're not genuine in our convictions and where we're willing to compromise in order to gain that list of things above. Materialism, political expediency, all those things that we want to gain. When we compromise our convictions 
and our commitments to gain those things, the world sees it and goes, "Uh uh-huh, they're just like me. Why would I want to be a part of that church? Why would I want their God when I don't see any difference between the way they live their life and the way I live my life? The world notices when we're materialistic, when we trade away Christ's standards for political outcome or expediency, when we use irresponsible rhetoric on social media or in person, when we're lax in our morals or foolish in our actions. But no, we are to permeate society as agents of redemption. I want to leave you with two final encouragements from the Word of God. I'm going to ask our musicians to come back up. I'm going to leave you with two final encouragements from the Word of God and then make one comment, basically, and pray. It says, Colossians, excuse me, Mark chapter 9, verse 50. It says, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So, it starts there sounding very familiar, right? To the other things we've discussed today, the other passages we've seen. But then he tells you to have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. We should be reflecting the light, salting the world, being at peace with one another. Colossians 4, 5 says this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So the question I want to ask is this, how will your life change starting today to make the best use of the time that you have? Let the light of the gospel shine through you as a reflection of Jesus and make the world more flavorful and push back decay and darkness. How will your life change starting today to do that, to push back the darkness and decay? To be a reflection of Jesus, to light the world, and to add flavor and preserving to the world as an agent of redemption. What's that going to look like in your life today? What's that going to look like in your life tomorrow when you go to work? Tuesday when you go to work? I can't tell you what that's going to look like in your life. That's between you and the Lord. I can tell you what the Bible says it needs to look like in your life. But individually, we all have changes that need to be made in our lives. We need to have Jesus clean the mirror so we can better his love and light to the world. Would you stand and pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for this message from your word. Thank you that, God, you have made us, Jesus, your dear followers, those who have trusted in you, those who have believed in you and trusted on you, put our faith in you alone for salvation, that your death on the cross was enough sacrifice for our sin, that you died on the cross for our sin in our place as a substitute for us that you absorbed the wrath of God that was due for us and that, and that therefore we get your righteousness if we trust in you. That we only get salvation and eternity in heaven and, and to avoid the wrath of God by, our, our, by grace through faith in you, Jesus. And that you didn't stay dead, but three days later you rose from the grave. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you. That we serve a living God, that we reflect you to the world. And God, I pray that everybody in this room and everybody watching online and anyone who will watch this or listen to this later, 
would be cut to the heart by what you have to tell us in the not not just in today's passage but even back in the beatitudes about who we are as your children you would help us to live that life we pray you would clean our mirrors help us reflect your light to the world that the world around us that the community around us that Dixon and the surrounding communities would be different because you have a people who stands in their convictions and their commitments not by their own power but by your strength and yours alone Jesus for your glory Lord God make it happen here make us willing servants make us useful servants let us be salt and light 